Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke 5. Luke 5, if you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. And so Luke is in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke was a, uh, he was a, a doctor, a physician that became a Christian. And so he was, uh, he was alive around the time Jesus was. And so he put this together through eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did and of the people that were with Jesus and just wrote these things out. And so we started a series, this will be our last week on a, a, a series a few weeks ago called Moved and talking about seeing a move of God in our lives. But one of the things that I believe is greatly needed in our nation is a move of God, an outpouring, an awakening that needs to take place. And so in looking at that, um, you know, I just realized throughout history we've had those. Those have taken place, they've happened, we've had different moves of God that have happened, and it's just essential and necessary that we have one now in this season. But I know this, that, move of, that a move of God generally starts in the heart of one individual. And so how do we see that? We talked about the first week about that we have a say in what we hunger for, and that we begin to hunger for God's presence and for, you know, his things, the things that matter to him. And then we talked about seeking, and not just an event to seek, but to continually be seeking God's plan, his purpose, studying his word, spending time in his presence, and that we do that. And then to surrender, to surrender to different things in, you know, uh, that we hang on to, things that are elements of control in our life, and that, and that we just, you know, we want to just make ours and not turn loose of, to surrender certain things like that, you know, that we would just let go of. And so, and so we looked at all of those things. Well, today, uh, you know, we're going to talk about doing the things that God tells us to do after we surrender, after we seek him, after we hunger for the things that he has for us, then the things that he speaks into our world and speaks into our life and gives us to do. And so in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Now, you know, in northeastern Oklahoma, man, I'm telling you, if church has not been your thing, you really weren't really sure about Jesus or whatever, that if you're in this area, the lakes a lot of times are part of people's lives. I don't know what else I can use to grab your attention. I just mentioned two fishing boats. They're by water, and there's a fish, some fishermen there. And so, I mean, if you're not leaning in now, I just don't know what to do, okay? So, so anyway, so we have this. Right here, and it says that, that they'd been, they, they were, the boats were empty, the fishermen had left them, they were washing their nets, and stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water, so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Stop right there. So, again, I want, I want to have context for this, that Simon, fishing was not a hobby of his. It wasn't what he did to get away. Fishing was how he took care of his family. It was their family business. And so, you know, I, I just, I'm aware of this. Like, if I'm in a conversation with somebody, and I, and I have some questions, and the person that I'm talking to, if they get paid for the thing we're talking about, and I'm just a casual observer, then typically I go to this, like, in this conversation, one of the people in it is an expert and one of them isn't. Like my friend Robert down here, he deals with roofing and stuff like that. So we begin to talk about roofs. Robert makes part of his living dealing with roofs. And so I know we start talking about that, that one of us is an expert. 
The one getting paid probably knows more than the one not getting paid to do it. And in this case, I can assure you that's certainly the case. All right? And so Jesus is talking to Simon Peter, and they said that they'd fished all night. Now, and I, you know, I know all of our, our bodies work differently. I worked one time at a, uh, for a place called Crosby McKissick. And I worked second shift, which was from 4 to 12.30. And that worked pretty well for me because I got to sleep in a little bit. I don't mind staying up late. I hate getting up early, but I don't mind staying up late. And so, um, so it worked out real well for me. But graveyard shift was one of those things where I'm like, oh, my gosh, man, just kill me now. I mean, it was one. It just, so you can imagine these guys had worked all night long. And not only had they worked all night long, but they hadn't caught anything. The experts had not caught anything. The experts had not caught anything. And this is how they take care of their family. So you can imagine that at the end of the day, you fished all night long. You're already tired. You haven't caught anything. I'd be a little grumpy. And then, you know, and now you got the preacher wanting to do church before you go home. He gets in the boat and he says, hey, you know, can you take us out? And I'm sure he's like, take you out? But he did. He took them out. And so then when it's all said and done, he's like, oh, man, finally. Finally, the preacher's through talking that type of thing. I'm ready to go. And Jesus goes, hey, man, cast, take your boat out into the deep water. Cast your nets out there so, you know, so we can catch fish. So the non-expert is telling the, you know, the expert, we're going to do this. And I think about, you know, I, I love Simon's response at first. He goes, look, man, we fished all night long. And we haven't caught anything. In other words, there was a voice in his life, his circumstances, that were trying to endeavor to dictate the direction he was going to go in his world. Isn't it funny how circumstances can be a voice in our world? It can be the thing that tells us, you know, what God has for us and what he doesn't have for us. But look at what his response is after this. So after this, he said, he said, Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, everybody say, if you say so. It's such a powerful statement when it comes to following God's direction and God's plan. If you say so. My circumstances say otherwise. My experience up to this point has been painful. And it says otherwise, but if you say so. If you say so, that's the direction I'll go. And whenever, you know, whenever we're going to follow God, whenever, you know, whenever we're endeavoring to just hear his plan, that his voice has to be the one that we're following as far as giving us directions. He said, but if you say so, he said, I'll let, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish. Listen, listen how full their nets were. They were so full of fish, they began to tear. These are commercial nets. These aren't the nets you buy at Walmart. They're the ones that you order for some company that's making these really thick nets. They had Walmart back then. Uh, stay with me. Okay, so, so, so they're just really, and he says, so they said, a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. That's a lot of fish. Now, I grew up around here, so we would run trot lines, and sometimes we'd have a good haul on that type of thing, or crappie were hitting, or sand bass were running, that type of thing. But there was never a time where I'm like, okay, we can't have another fish because this boat's on the verge of sinking. We got so many fish in here. I mean, I've heard some fish stories in my time, but nobody has ever dared tell a fish story. They're like, how many fish goes? We caught so many, our boats were sinking. I mean, nobody's even went that far. So this is a real incident and a real issue that these commercial fishermen who had fished all night long with their own expertise, with their own knowledge, with the things that they had been taught by their fathers and that type of thing, they came up empty-handed that now Jesus is speaking to them and he gives them clear direction. And even though their circumstances say, don't do this, 
That they begin to let God's voice be the one that they're listening to. And so if we're going to do what God has called us to do, if you're taking notes, number one is this. Make sure you're listening to God's voice. Make sure that his is a voice listening to you again. And you can have all sorts of things. You know, sometimes we let the voice of our past speak to us. Our own failures. Our own shortcomings. I've shared with you before that I was working at a ministry. I was working in the uh, shipping department. It was a good place. But I had this stirring in my heart that God wanted me to, to begin to speak. And so... Um, from the platform behind the pulpit. And, but for me, I just knew my own mistakes. I knew my shortcomings. I knew my failures. And so I, I would disqualify myself. I'm like, I'm just, you know, I've, just, I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many stupid things. You're just, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I'm not there yet. And so I let my own experience be the loudest voice in my life. I let it be the thing. You know, sometimes it's not, it's not our own failures that we're listening to. Sometimes it's been the things that have been done to us. Well, I'll never trust anybody again. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never, you know, serve anybody again. I'll never let that, I mean, it becomes the loudest voice. Sometimes it's people that journey with us, that love us. One time Jesus stood up in front of his disciples and said, look, man, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered. They're going to put me on trial. And Peter came up to him and said, not so, Lord. And Jesus looked at him and, and said, you're such a good friend to me, man. Thanks. You know, I was going to make this huge mistake and that kind of thing. And I know you love me. No, man. He looked at me and goes, get behind me, Satan. Now, I'm, not telling you, I'm not telling you to call your friend Satan, but I mean, here's the thing I am saying is that in this moment, Peter meant well, but he wasn't the loudest voice in Jesus' life. He was listening to the voice of, fa of the Father. And so we have this, you know, that we can have so many things that are trying to direct us. And Peter was like, Simon Peter was like, all of these things, and yet he said, because you say so. You know, in 2000, you know, two years ago, 2020 of March is where co when COVID really hit this part of the country, like really hard. I mean, you know, it was, I remember that there was a time where I was like, you know, where I said, I don't know anybody's had COVID. And then when March came, it was just a few months later, it was like hard to find anybody at that point that hadn't. I'm not saying that there weren't people, but I'm just saying that, you know, most people I knew had had experienced it in some form or the other. And so we were trying to, you know, we were, we were trying to use wisdom. We, you know, we, we had, um, we had, you know, the church was growing it was in a season of growth, and it was just, it was, things were really good and going, and then we're in the, the middle of a building campaign, or the beginning of a building campaign, so we just, our future was so exciting, and then in March of 2020, when that hit, it was like everything stopped, like, I, I gotta be real transparent, I, I got mad. I got mad, and I mean, and you know, let me tell you who I, I got a little mad at, and this is never a good place to be, but I'm, I just, I want to be vulnerable. I got mad at God. You ever gotten mad at God before? Because, you know, things are going on and you're like, why are you letting this happen? At this time, at this time in our world, at this time in our nation, at this time in our church, why, why is this happening? And, and, you know, and I mean, I wrestled with that. Is, that. is that okay? I mean, I mean, it's just where I was. And I wrestled with it. I knew, I knew it wasn't the place I was supposed to be. But, man, I had to fight not to stay there. And so I'm like, man, God, you know, we're growing. I mean, you know, I, I've tried, I've endeavored to obey you. I put off things in my life and that type of thing. And, and we're at this place as I'm getting older. I mean, just a really great place to be. And now it's like this. And so, man, there was a struggle just 
going on and, and all the things we were hearing. And, you know, and a lot of times we're endeavoring to do things right, but you don't know. You've never, you know, never been through a pandemic before. I saw people put out these series called How to Lead in a Pandemic. I'm like, when's the last, one you, the last time you were a part of one? <laughs> what, you like 150? I mean, how, you know, how do you know? And so, you know, just endeavoring. And I, and I just remember just praying and then having people around me that were endeavoring to listen to the voice of God. And we were praying. And, and I remember at the beginning of the year, the Lord, the word that he gave us for that year was the word pursue. Pursue. So, and I'm not saying we threw wisdom out the window. We still wanted to be wise and that type of thing. But the further we got into it, man, that word just kind of kept resonating in me because it was God's word. And finally, we said, look, we're going to go that direction. And at the time, that could have been the worst time, according to everybody else, to build, to remodel, to invest and engage. We did that. Because it was God's voice. It was, it was letting his voice be the loudest. You know, I look on the other side of that, you know, and, and uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, in like 2020 or 21 I'm trying to remember in that time period, there were like 60,000 churches in our nation that closed down. It's horrible. It was the first time in a, maybe in the history of our nation that we had more churches close than we had start. Not a good sign. And, and, and this isn't unique to us. And, and it's not because we're perfect because I know who the pastor is. And so, um, and he, he does dumb things. And so... But on the other side of it, I see where God's taken us through, and, and not only did, have we gotten back to our pre-pandemic where the number of people that were showing up, that we've actually grown past that, like, I don't know, like 20% or something like that. But, but in order to experience those kind of things in our lives, that we have all of these other voices, and, and, and sometimes they, they've been trusted voices. But they, they can never be the most important voice in our world. There are times where we clearly know what God is leading us to do. And we may have all the reasons why other people say we shouldn't. And sometimes we'd be like Simon and go, because you say so. And the King James says this, nevertheless, at your word. At your word. So to see, you know, to see God move for us to do what we're supposed to do, make sure you're listening to God's voice. Not others. Not even yours, not your circumstances, his voice. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Kings 5. 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It's like the 12th book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Keep going. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. 1 and 2 Samuel. 1 Kings. What comes after 1 Kings? Yeah, there you go. 2 Kings. Okay, anyway, 2 Kings 5. No matter how tired that joke gets, I still tell it. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 5 and then 9 through 14. So it says, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army. So this guy was the commander of, uh, of the king of Aram's army. Now this was not the army of Israel. This was an invading army. And so, and so it says the commander of his army because they... Because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But, through Na but, though, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who'd been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. 
he would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door at Elisha's house. Now stop right there. So Naaman was this great, he was the commander of this king's army. And at this time, this was one of the most powerful nations in the world. And this guy had won many battles and he was well respected and feared. And so you can imagine that anytime he showed up, and especially if he showed up with soldiers and that type of thing, that there'd be thoughts like, why is he here? You know, we haven't done anything. Has he come to like take our land and that type of thing? Even if you read part of the story, one of the kings was like, oh my gosh, you know, if you read the rest of it uh, in there, like, what's he doing here? And so Anywhere this guy went, that people did not disrespect him, that they curried his favor. He shows up and like, oh man, Naaman's here. So what does he need? Is he okay? And he has all of those things. But now the one problem he had is that he had a, a disease called leprosy. And back then it was incurable. There was not anything you could do. It, it was a slow, miserable death. It would begin to eat away your appendages, your fingers, your toes, your nose, your ears, that, that type of thing, and just slowly take you out. It was a horrible thing. There was no cure for it. And so this servant girl, who was a woman of God, had said, look, man, God's using this guy named Elisha, and I wish he would go there. God, God will bring healing through this guy. And so, you know, he was desperate. So he goes and he says to the king, look, I, I want to go see the king's like, yeah, man, here, take all these troops, take the silver, take this stuff. And so he shows up, and again... This guy is not used to anybody even remotely disrespecting him unless they do so at their own peril. And so he goes to Elisha's door and it's announced, you know, hey man, this dude is here. He's shown up with this huge caravan. His posse is here. He's got all of his riches. He's there. And so this is what happens. This is what takes place. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him. Elisha didn't even go to the door. He didn't come and bow to him and like, oh man, great name in your head. He's like, hey, go tell him this. I mean, I'm like, okay. I mean, that day I would not have wanted to be Elisha's messenger. Like, so you want me to go tell this guy? What are you going to, are you, are you going out the back window while this is going on? I mean, am I like buying you time? He says, no. So he says, go tell him this. So it says that Elisha sent a messenger out to him with the message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever given you an answer that you didn't like? You ever had that happen? God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, man. I, I got this situation I really need. And then he begins to speak to you. Okay, well, this is what I want you to like. God, I'll do anything you want me to do but that. Is there another way, you know? I mean, I don't know about you, but there have been times where I prayed, and I'm genuinely and sincere. And in my mind, there may be times where I thought that was an opportunity, but I'm like, surely the Lord. The Lord knows all those circumstances. He knows those issues. Surely he wouldn't ask me to do that. And then lo and behold, what does he ask me to do? The thing that I said, surely he wouldn't ask me to do. I mean, I've been there where it's like, at that point then, it's like, I know I said I would do whatever you want me to do, but I had no idea you are going to ask me to do that. And it's real easy to get mad at his answer, because it's not what I thought he should do. 
It's not what, you know, it's amazing how pride can really get in the way of whatever it is that God wants to do in our life. However he wants to speak to us, whatever he wants to do through us. Sometimes, man, he's, he's dealt with me, uh, and sometimes I have one to do, because sometimes he, it's required me to go apologize to somebody. I'm like, God, they were wrong. I'm not apologizing to them. Well, they need to practice apologizing. They're not very good at it. And it, yet he's had me do that. Sometimes it's required me to go and admit that what I was doing was wrong. Sometimes it would be through a person that I'm like, you want to use them? Do you, have you seen how they treat me? How they talk to me and, and you're going to use them? I'm a, this may not be you, I can only speak for me. But, but sometimes my pride, sometimes I can get offended. And, that, and that, that can become a greater challenge for me to go the direction that he wants me to because a human being is involved that offended me. Sometimes he wants to use somebody that doesn't respect me or I don't feel like they do. I feel disrespected by. And as a man, that really just, you know, it just changes the score for me. God's never asked, is this a good time? Is this a good time? And he's never given me direction and said, are, are you okay with this? I, I know you had some other plans, but what if we do this? No, I mean, he wants me to trust him. Because I have my ideas. I have my way of people in my circle, you know, they have their ideas their way and that, that type of thing. But, but it's just amazing, you know, sometimes that the direction that God gives us isn't anything. I mean, even Naaman had an idea that, you know, that God would say, look, man, go, go to your own waters and do this. And, or that he would come out, he would, you know, that he would, you know the, for the prophet to stay in his house and just send one of his servants out there. Hey, give him this instruction. Culturally, was so disrespectful. And I'm sure Naaman probably was like, does this dude not know who I am? His own king is afraid of me. Who does this pipsqueak think he is treating me this way in front of all of my other subordinates? I mean, you talk about being challenged. It's wild that pride can so often stand in the way of what God wants to do in my life. And humility opens up the door for his presence and for me to have access. That the other things that pride puts in the way of what God wants to do, humility in a moment removes those things out of the way. You, you know, sometimes my marriages went through hard seasons because pride demanded me to stand my ground. And I would pray, God, fix my marriage, help me to do this. And then he would give me a direction and I was like, surely not. Hey, go apologize to your wife. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> this time. <laughs> I thought, surely you would say, I got this. I'm dealing with her. I'm having a dream tonight. It'll be like Ebenezer when he had like the three spirits of Christmas show up. I'm going to show her what her life is going to be like if she didn't apologize to you. <laughs> well, I would do that, but it would be better. And so, yeah, I mean, so, but it's just those things, man, that pride just gets in the way. 
Because it requires humility. It requires me trusting him. And so in order for God, you know, for us to be part of God moving in our life, for there to be a move of God in my world, I have to trust God's way. I have to trust his way. Then all the things in my, in my own life personally and in my marriage and dealing with my family, in, in what Cedar Point looks like, you know, that, I mean, we, you know, part of our mission is to be relentlessly good to our community, but none of it can take the place of, of just sharing God's word with his people. I'm talking about who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us and what he wants to do in our world right now and, that, and, and to not, you know, it's in our culture that leaves so little room for absolutes without people taking offense to be able to stand up and say, without a doubt, not out of pride, but out of care and concern for people's souls, that there is no other way but Jesus. That I have to trust him and trust his way. And so there are times, man, when I pray and the opportunities of the way he leads me and directs, I'm like, Really? So it's not just you. I deal with that too. I name and you know, wouldn't even you know, consider to be a believer, and, and yet he was so desperate. And then the direction that God gives him, he didn't want to do. And so, so it says, so Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman, he. It doesn't say this, but this is what he did. He humbled himself and went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. How do we see God moving in life? Man, we have to trust God's way. Even when I don't, even when it's not the way that I want. I, you know, I've said this before, but one of my favorite passages it says, As for God, his way is perfect. Not easy, not always the way I want to go. As for God, his way is perfect. And so to follow him, they have to trust his way and trust what he wants to do, even if we don't agree with the answer that he gives us to do what God has told us to do. Let's look at number three and we'll close with this. Let's go with Matthew chapter seven. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And so he was an eyewitness to he was one of the 12 disciples. He was an eyewitness to what Jesus said. And so he recorded this in verse 24. Jesus is preaching a sermon. And he said this in a sermon. He goes, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, look very carefully at what Jesus said and look at the whole thing. He said, he said, if we hear his word and do it, he said that then we're like people that built our house upon boulder, upon rock. Now, Jesus isn't giving a lesson in construction right here. It's not his seminar, you know, hey, come, and I'm going to show you how to build a house, you know, and we're, you know. So what he's doing, he's not talking about really building houses, is he? He's talking about building lives. 
He's talking about building marriages or relationships or dreams or the, you know, the things that he's given us to do. And he said, if you hear it and you do it, he said this, storms will still come. He didn't say that if you hear it and do it, then, then he's going to present you with a, we're going to shelter you away from the storms policy. No. No, you still get the, you still get the storms. The, the winds still blow hard upon your life. The rain still sometimes falls in torrents upon your life. Sometimes it feels like the floods rise above your ability to survive in your life. And yet, guess what? Your life still stands, not because you were free from the storm, but because in the storm, you continue to trust him and do what he said to do. He said the other life, not how's the other life, heard what Jesus said, heard, listened, considered it, and then went out and did their own thing. And they experienced the storm, the winds, the rain, the floodwaters. And there's crash. And people say, man, their life crashed because of that storm. No, no. And neither will yours because of the storm. It crashes because if we get in the middle of it, that sometimes we quit doing what he's told us to do. You know, I've said this the last few weeks, it's been kind of strong on me, maybe because some of you are dealing with it. But again, you know, the devil's always offering cheat codes. You know, you can skip this and get this. No, it doesn't work that way. It's like trying to, you know, trying to make a 30-minute pizza in 15 minutes. You won't like the outcome. It's the best food analogy I got right now. Sorry. So, but just, it just, it's just, it, you know, it's one of those things that in order to do, we have to endeavor to continue obey in the hard places, in the hard seasons. That the winds blew, the rains fell in torrents, the floodwaters, they, they, they rose up. But you continue to obey him in the hard places. And I'm going to go back to marriage here, but you know, in Ephesians 5, it says this, husbands, love your wives. Do you know if that was easy? If I always wanted to do that, he wouldn't have had to told me to do that. You know, there's some days I don't want to love my wife. I mean, demonstrate love to her. That's probably not you. So y'all need to pray for me. Sometimes, sometimes she irritates me. Sometimes, you know, I get frustrated with her. There are even times that we have arguments. We haven't had one today. She's asleep when I left. We haven't had one today, so. After some of you go tattle on me about this part of the message, we'll have one. Thank you very much, so I appreciate that. But, but I found this out, that I can let the storm determine my behavior, and when things aren't going right, not love her, and it's amazing, the outcome. Or even in the middle of the storm, I can continue to love her even when my flesh says, don't. And it's amazing how it impacts the outcome. I've, I've been there. Well, I'm sitting there and my brain goes, or my, my spirit goes, don't say that. And my flesh is like, yeah, but it's just, it's just so good. I don't know that I'll have, I don't know that I'll have this moment again. And, and sometimes that voice wins. And usually when that voice wins, it's less than a minute before I'm like, why did you say that? That was so stupid. Why did you say that? But 
We do that often, right? I mean, I mean, we, we look for the, you know, the immediate. We, we sacrifice what we want most for what we want now. As opposed to in the storm, when things aren't going my way, when, when I don't really know how long it's going to last, and, and I don't know, you know, what, you know what it looks like on the other side of this, but I continue to do God's word, that as we continue to do that, then whatever part of my life, whether it's my, my own personal stuff, whether, you know, it's my marriage, whether it's my relationship with my kids or, you know, hey, it caused me to lead this church, that type of thing, that if I continue doing that, then on the other side of the storm, I, I don't get to skip the storm. But on the other side of it, that it's still standing. Because it's not the storm that determines the outcome. It's who I trust in the middle of it. We won't blame him on the storm. No, 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 I just quit trusting him. And so number three is stick with God's plan in the hard times. In the hard season with where you are right now, I, I want to stir up in you. If you've, if you've gotten kind of numb to life, if, if, if you've got, if you just kind of relegated everything and, and, and your life is just, it, it's just, there's nothing in it but just routine and you're just kind of going through day after day and just kind of giving up on having any dreams of your own, giving up on listening to God's plan for your life or what it is he wants to do or seeing him move on your behalf because it's taken too long or you're disappointed or you're frustrated, I want to stir up in you. I want the Holy Spirit to stir up in you. That thing to re-engage in his presence, re-engage in his promises, re-engage in hearing his voice about what you should do in this moment. And even in the hard places, trust his way and do it and continue to be obedient even when it feels like nobody else around you is. And when it feels like it's unfair and nobody's, and you're not being understood, you're not being heard, you're not being appreciated or valued. It doesn't feel like it's working. And yet because you trust him in spite of what everything around you says and even what everybody else around you says, you continue to trust him. Then eventually when the storm ends and storms end, they're seasonal. Then that part of your life is still standing and it's gotten strengthened as a result of that storm and not weakened because it was built upon the promises of what God has said to you and you walked in what his voice was speaking in your life and it's determined your outcome, not those hard places. You didn't get to skip them. You didn't get to skip them. You had to continue to go through them and press through them. Sometimes it's just an issue of putting your head down and moving forward and staying strong and staying straight and persevering because you know what? The people that finish get the prize. And so continue to go, continue in that direction. And so stick with God's plan in the hard times. Let's, let's do this. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Just really in this moment engage with the presence of God. Engage with, with his spirit. Engage in what he wants you to do. And just listen to him. Some of you may have an answer and you haven't liked it. And like name and you're like, why didn't you just do this? Why didn't you? So you've held back. And maybe this is a time for you to commit. That God, even though I don't understand your way, it's, it's your way. Do what he wants. Let's, let's just spend a moment with God.